0: Welcome to the 7 Figure Flipping Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of thousands a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey everybody! Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen, and today I have a uh, a, a real treat for you guys. It's with everything that's going on in the environment, in the um, in the marketplace, in the economy, and things like that. I really wanted to bring on somebody to to have that conversation with that I respected, and I've done a lot of research on. And if there's one person that I wanted to talk to, it was uh, it was my guest today. So I'm going to read his biography real quick, and uh, then we'll bring him on the show. So. Uh, Bruce Norris is an active investor, hard money lender, and real estate educator with over 35 years of experience. And that's the primary reason that I wanted to bring him on. He's been in this business for a long time. Bruce has been involved in more than 2,000 real estate transactions as a buyer, seller, builder, and money partner. Renowned for his ability to forecast long-term real estate market trends and timing, the release of the California Comeback Report in 1997 gained gained him much notoriety. The accuracy of the extensive report led many California investors to financial freedom. His January 2006 release, The California Crash, was an in-depth look into the California market correction and the statistics behind Bruce's predictions. He speaks in debates nationally and has a great, uh, has been a guest speaker at Mortgage Bankers Association, REO Mac, Inman, Housing Wire, California Association of Realtors. When I look on his site, Fortune, Fox, been in the New York Times, Good Morning America, Time Magazine, just amazing kind of uh, plethora of different broadcasts and and print media that he's been in. And really, he's kind of the go-to guy for sure. When I reached out to our mastermind group to say, who would you guys want to hear from about what's going on today? It was a resounding answer of bring, if you can get to Bruce Norris on the podcast, bring him on. So I'm really excited to talk to you today, Bruce. Welcome. Um, Thank you so much for for coming on the show with me today.
1: Bill, thank you very much. And uh, congratulations on you and having such a tremendous group of uh, investors, entrepreneurs in your group. That's great.
0: Yeah, it's it's really an incredible kind of mastermind group. And everybody's, you know, kind of unsure about what's happening right now. It's This is something that hasn't really been felt this way before. So, I'm really happy that you agreed to come on and share some of your insights because selfishly, you know, I run a business that's very active in the real estate world. And it's not something that I, I'm sure of what the future is going to hold. And I'd be interested to hear, just basically have a conversation with you about that.
1: You know, there's people that I I respect a lot that I, that I listened to. We had a radio interview with a gentleman named Ralph Paul, who's a, a macro investor, not necessarily real estate, but has a pretty good track record. And uh, he used the word depression uh, in a conversation recently. There was a YouTube video where he's being interviewed and he used that word and that it got my attention. So we got a chance to interview him. And in with, within that interview, I asked him had he ever used that word to describe what he thought might be next because he'd been around for a while, and the answer was no. So that got my attention, you know, because um, I consider, and I asked him how his process worked. Did he have a Ray Dalio process where he had a lot of people that gave input and the best idea won, or was he just on his own uh, literally batting it around with himself, and that was the answer. He just does it himself which is very similar to my process. And so I, I could relate to him. And um, so it doesn't mean I agree with the outcome, but, I can, but I'm considering all of those things being possibility. I, I liked his process too, because he doesn't come out with this is a certainty. This is growing as a likely outcome. So as a, you know, as a real estate investor, I've been through a lot of things. I, I got started in the industry in 1980, 81. When interest rates were seventeen percent fixed, so that was an interesting time to start because things were n- not normal, but I, I didn 't know that because that 's when I started and then when interest rates got down to twelve, I was like boy that 's cheap <laughs> so that 's what was kind of funny over the last few years you know as, as interest rates crept over four and people were whining, I was going, "Oh my gosh, you have no idea what's what 's possible but so i've been through a few recessions, and we had an interesting uh, like you, I was a young guy, probably hitting what what I considered uh, home runs almost in everything I touched during the 80s, and I got to 89. Uh, the year before, in 88, I had a chance to buy 50 building lots from the Bass Brothers. They were out in Palm Springs, and as uh, a lot of times investors drive by opportunities every day. I had driven by these 50 vacant lots for probably six months, and um, it just dawned on me Okay, we're in, a build, we're in the middle of a building boom. Everything's working in California real estate, and no one's building on all these lots, individual. There's no way one guy has to own them all. And so that was the idea that I made that phone call. And I got a chance to uh, meet the president of the Bass Brothers, who flew out to meet me. And we put that deal together. Well, I made a lot of money on that flip. And the next year, I decided to build six custom homes in Palm Springs. And that's about when the Real estate world changed drastically, and I got stuck with a bunch of custom homes that wouldn't sell and worked my way out of that. A few years later, my son Aaron graduates from high school, and I buy him a Honda Civic for 157, and a couple of days later, buy a house in Riverside, California, a three-bedroom house for 133. And that contrast just hit me. How does real estate go from? You can do nothing wrong, and it's going up forever. So, you buy a house for $13.3 less than a Honda Civic. And so it made me realize I've been at it 15 years and I don't have a clue why prices move up and down. And I decided I wanted to, first of all, figured somebody must have figured this out. So, I really, back then, you go to the library with microfilm. And I looked up every article written about real estate price movement for 25 years, from 1970 to 1995. Every article, no mention of a future projection of where we're going to be. And so I thought, you know what, I don't know if it's possible, but I'm going to see if I can figure that out. So it took me 18 months. I bought, sometimes I bought books for $1,600 that the library had that I needed. Um, Other times I literally went into their room and I wrote, the statistic looks like affordability 1980. I wrote down every county, every affordability number for every county of California. And I do that for every statistic and I made all these charts to see if I could tell if there was a domino chart that started a downturn, domino chart that started an upswing for California specifically. That's what I was working on. And that's how we ended up writing the first report, the California comeback, why prices will double in the next eight years. And what's interesting about if you're writing a report of value, it's it's before the event happens. And so it wouldn't be much good to write a California crash in 2009, right? It was a little late. But what also happens is when you write a report in advance of of its occurrence, the mood is not there. So in 2000, excuse me, in say 1997, real estate had gone down for six years in a row. And in January, I'm standing in front of the builders of California and a lot of investors saying these prices are going to revert, go back up. I mean, it was good news to people, but it was so hard to believe because that's not where you were, but that's where the charts told me we were going. And so that's basically starting then and from then on, I make decisions by what charts tell me is most likely. And some of that has to do with knowing how people react. So we'll get to eventually the coronavirus, but a big part of it is how people react. And so I learned that through the 1990s. Then we had a buildup of price that was crazy. You know, we, as you know, most of us owned properties in 2000 and uh, up until 2006, and the prices just went crazy. And I did all the math on that. And we wrote a report called the California Crash, why prices could go by, down by half and foreclosures go up thousands of percent. And once again, what was the mood of the real estate uh, market at the time? It was euphoric. So how would you like to do a debate in front of the builders of California who literally, the second they put something uh, in framework, they probably have 25 people want to buy it at full price. And I'm standing there telling them next year, you're going to be sorry you continued this process. That's a little hard to believe, but that's why I like charts because I looked at that as inevitable and they looked at it as, well, today we have evidence that we're in a perfect market. Nothing we can build doesn't sell. And I like a chart because it tells me in advance that's, that's not going to continue. So that's basically how we make decisions. In 2017, we wrote a report with a t- title, 2% mortgage rates, $40 trillion in debt. And it was basically a projection that we would have mortgage rates in the 2%, which we had for a brief moment until they played with some. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took a picture of that. I had a lender, lender of mine who knew I had done the prediction. And I said, when, when FHA rates start with a 2, I want to I get <laughs> a text from you. Because that's a pretty outrageous statement if you're looking at it from 2017. Um, but I did think that would occur. And I think, unfortunately, we'll have the debt level. because That was a projection for 10 years on the $40 trillion. But now, so all of those things have taught me how to not only look where I am, but where I'm likely to go. So this coronavirus is a, is a new thing. Um, it's not that we haven't had viruses before, um, but this one seems to be, I mean, how many times have you heard they shut down Italy? No baseball, no Disney. Okay, so this is, this is a bigger event than, uh, than ever. So that one, yeah, you really start thinking, okay, how does this change human behavior? And for how long? And that's, if you have the answer to that, you probably know how this ends. And that's, that's really true.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting. I wrote down a couple of notes as you were talking and um, you said you'd been in this for 15 years and and still didn't have a clue at that point until you really just kind of jumped in for those 18 months. And I feel like that's me right now. I am and I haven't even been in this for 15 years and I'm not going to be the first one to even try to predict what's going to happen or even think, you know, I'm coming up with some contingency plans for myself and my company and, and trying to reach out to some experts like you. But it, a lot of people that I see are do think that they know what's going on. And this is exactly what you're talking about. It, three weeks ago, if people would have said, hey, the sky's going to fall out, it's exactly what you're talking about. You're going to be standing in front of people who have seen it booming for a while and say, maybe eventually, but not tomorrow. And then things change so fast. Like almost overnight, I saw a transition, which it's, it was just a little bit shocking to see it shift so fast. And I even see kind of taking it like day by day now, just instead of... Um, I'm an engineer. My background is numbers, math, things like that. Um, okay. So I'm really, I love exact, all of the stuff you're talking about. I I can just picture myself in a library uh, analyzing data. And so I'm constant. And I was also a helicopter pilot for the Navy. So what I I'm I'm constantly just taking in information, trying to make decision, and trying to predict predict short and long term contingency plans. Like the what if if this happens, then I have a backup plan. If this happens, then I have a backup plan, because. I, I don't know where we're going to go, but I know that I, I take all the information that I have in my experience and make a decision of the path that I'm going to take and the direction that I'm going to go. So um, you said th- like the people, how the people act, like is, is it even possible to control that or is that completely out of control at this point? Because I, I completely agree with you. People's action, the human behavior is the biggest wild card in anything that we have. I'm a marketer. Uh, we do a lot of marketing and right. that's the huge wild card for me that there's no possible. So that's the big variable in, in experiment and science. Like I, I love you change one variable and everything else remains constant. So you can determine what it looks like in the human behavior. There's millions of variables that I can't control what somebody feels when they walk out to the mailbox and looks at one of my cards, for example, are they going to pick up the phone or are they going to throw it in the recycling bin? So there's, a lot of factors that come into play there. So I'd be interested to hear what you think about like the people's reaction and all of these things. Like are, are we seeing a huge domino effect that's just going to continue? Do you feel like we're going to snap out of it? Or what do you think?
1: You know, I'm going to relate this a little bit to nine 11 and and the Boston marathon where they had the, remember they had an explosion happen. Yep. Okay. So in the short run, human nature certainly can overreact. But um, in 9-11, within a a very short period of time, I had season tickets to an Angel game. And um, 45,000 people attended the game. The National Anthem starts every game. And up until then, 45,000 people stood up and stood silent. And somebody sang the National Anthem, and that was it. On that night, and every night thereafter for quite some time, 45,000 people sang the National Anthem. And I remember looking around when that happened. I I was stunned. And by the way, thank you for your service. I really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. And I looked around and I thought, isn't it interesting? We get it. There's not a black person. There's not a gay person. There's not a Muslim there's 45,000 Americans and i thought we're going to be okay and that's where we usually land the boston marathon had an explosion that took out took the lives of people and in the next year there was a 35% increase in the number of people that got into the race and that had not happened before ever that's that's who we are in the long run in the short run you will have you're going to have overreactions. But what's really smart about what's being done is a lot of those are going to be mitigated. So let's say this coronavirus has a 90-day really bad time. And let's say that's, that started in New York. And it's going to start in California within a very short period of time. So let's say, total, we have three or four months of this where you can look on every news station and it's, the death toll is growing and all that. That's where we're at. So if you're in the real estate business and on 9-11, you hit the pause button, people stayed home. Well, now they may have to stay home. So they're not going to be a buyer. So you're, you could have motivated sellers all over the place, but I don't know, I don't know that you're, they're going to be able to sell. And they're probably not motivated by foreclosure because the lenders can't foreclose. So it's really smart that the Fed is saying, okay, and the government is saying, okay, let's put a moratorium on foreclosures. Let's hand you livable money during the process. And I, I would bet that after we get through all of this, I mean, it's going to be a very hard thing to go through, that the American spirit will kick back in. And we'll be, there's, a, I don't know if you watch a guy that has a website called Valuetainment. I really like this guy's uh <laughs> really like his content he owns a very big financial company he's a young he's probably 40 but quite a quite an entrepreneur and he said he mostly he mostly hires people that are immigrants because they have a chip a chip on their shoulders like I got something to prove well American has that ability too I think we have something to prove that we are we're better than we we sometimes And I have a feeling that's going to come out. I really do.
0: So I, I love that. I remember, I think everybody who was a, a, of, of an understanding age, maybe, I don't know, 15 or older in 2001, September 11th, knows exactly where they were standing, exactly where they saw that, where they were, everything. Um, I was in college at the time. I was a Navy ROTC um, scholarship at, at school. So it was a Tuesday and I was wearing, I think, oh man, maybe, it, yeah, I think it was a Tuesday. I think I was wearing my uniform. We wore a uniform on Tuesday and Thursday, and I was in my ROTC uniform. I'll tell you, I I will never forget the uncertainty that I had at that time as a young military guy in in the in college, getting ready to get a commission in the Navy, thinking these they might ship me out to go to war, um, and as an enlisted um, sailor in the Navy, and there was so much uncertainty going around. Very similar. Feeling obviously different, but similar uncertainty and anxiety in the in the world at that time that we feel right now. Obviously, shut down the financial markets. uh, The stock exchange was closed. All of these things that happened that in my I had never heard of before, and and I I saw the just like you said, America just jump back in. Like most of the people that I served with, they joined the military after that time. So most of the people that I flew with, that I fought wars with in the Middle East and uh, stationed in the Persian Gulf with, they came in in 2001. It was them saying, I'm I'm signing up. I'm serving because of this. I want to give back to my country. And just like you, you gave me chills when you talked about the 45,000 people singing the, the national anthem. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that's almost become, uh, it's almost like we've become a little bit Com- complacent as a, a country, a quiet a little bit. We've gone back to sleep or taking a nap almost. And they've right. got, that's what I'm hoping happens is we've they've awakened the sleeping giant again of America. And we we start, I remember we had to pump money back into the, the community then. They, they, there was a big push to, hey, go reinvest, go, go out and spend money in 2001. It was it, it support your local community, spend money, jumpstart the economy again. And it's kind of what I see a little bit now. And I'm hoping that happens with us, like you said.
1: Well, and real estate investors have a really important role to play because we own houses that people rent. Mm -hmm. So we can start with thinking about our own situation. I'd say quite a few of us are wealthier than we ever imagined, and we've got a little fleet of tenants that are probably thirty days away from being homeless. I don't think I have to tell you how I think we ought to react to that. I I don't. I think we ought to be thinking about the other guy right now. And I think they will remember that. And the opposite is also true. If your situation as a renter is that you can pay the rent, then don't play that card of like, okay, I can get away with something. Let's, let's don't treat each other that way right now. I have a hard money loan business and it's the same thing. I, I got the coolest phone call. Um, I, I just talked to a guy, literally 10 minutes before I got on to talk with you, Bill. And he calls me up and his, his name is Peter. Uh, I'm going to, Peter Apostolus because of what he did, I'm going to use his name. He calls me up and he says, I want to, you to know that of all the bills that I have, the money that I owe the Norris Group is the priority because I'm where I, I am because of your help for 12 years. That's a, That's an awesome phone call. Someone like me does not forget that phone call. I just found out who Peter was.
0: That's incredible, and uh, and obviously you just uh, said how incredible he is on the podcast in front of all the listeners. I mean, it, it's it's a people business, right? It's yeah. it's about taking care of people, and and I think that's that that can't be lost. It's it's something that we've I've really kind of beat the drum on for anybody that that's come into our world, into our community, that that I've ever talked to or mentored or anything to help is. And it's interesting using the word mentor on a on a podcast with somebody who's been in the business for thirty five years and built an incredible company so and, and you know I've been at this at a high volume for maybe four years now so and investing in real estate for about ten so it's it i it's it was a challenge to even say that word as talking to you but the you know it's if you if you can take care of the contractor, you think of them like a person, not uh, somebody that hired gun. Your, your um your renter is part of your family and your community. Your um anybody that you work with, the hard money lender, the, you take we take care of each other. the The more you can give in this, this these times, the 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 better off you're going to be. I mean, it, it's
1: go ahead. It's so easy to stand out. Mm-hmm. You make the phone call that no one else would. I, we have a builder that we're dealing with in uh, Florida. So we're building homes with him. And I called, and I, this was this was based on a phone call that happened to me years ago um, when I was starting. I had an investor invest a bunch of money with me um, in Palm Springs. And he called me up one day and he says, I just want to know if this is all working out for you. And I always just thought, I've never had a fat phone call. <laughs> I've only had the other phone call. Mm-hmm. So 20 years later, um, sometime earlier this year, I called Dalton. We were talking. I said, "Is because we're doing a fair amount of volume with him, you know." And I said, "Is is this concept working for you?" And it was a pause. He says, "No one in my entire life has ever asked me that." Well, it's at this time you find out who you have, and finding out that you're dealing with someone of honor is a big deal because you know what to expect. And until then, you don't. You could know somebody 15 years and if it hasn't hit the fan, you don't know. That's the truth. You find out in the next 30 days, 90 days, whatever. You find out who who it is you are and who you got.
0: I think you nailed it right there. Not only do you find yourself and when, when times get really tough and things change and we, I've been through a lot in my life, you find, th- you find out who you are and then who, like you said, who's got your back? Like who who the people that are really, uh, that you want to be a part of, that you want to be in business with? And, and money has an interesting way to, to like reflect the, the true person. Yes. There's been a lot of times that I've, I've done business with people and when it's, when it's integrity and money, they've chosen, you know, door number two of the money instead of, you know, who they really should be, that kind of core value of mine. And, and I, I it's fine. I, you know, I'll let them out of a contract or out of a deal, but we'll never do business together again. No. I mean, you, you burn a relationship like that and it's, it's done in my book. You you cannot come back from that ever.
1: No. Um. I don't know if you know, a name, named Mike Cantu. Mike Cantu is a, is a legend in California. Flip. Yep you know, 1,500 homes is a really, really great guy who studies and still takes classes and on and on. You and I have had many lunches together over the years, and one of them was about 2000 and I'd say 2009 or 10. He says, it's interesting how this downturn has changed people's character. And I said, it didn't change anything. It just revealed it. There's no reason for character to need to show up in 2003 and 4 when everything's going up. You find out when it's not. And so, he thought about that and he says, wow, that's exactly right.
0: So, so you, guys, you guys are doing a lot of business now. And what are some of the things that you're thinking about over these, and let's use a 90-day cycle, like what are some of the things that you guys have over the last week have been talking about internally, have been doing for this? I know we don't necessarily know. We have this this idea now from what I'm getting from you is this idea that America is going to bounce back. We're going to put money back into the economy. Obviously, Congress has just put to, put together a, a massive bill to help out with, you know, uh, paying people some money, helping out um, with the, the small business loans that can be forgiven for some things like that. That should um, help stabilize these things. Over the past three days, obviously we're recording this on Thursday. I think it's the twenty sixth. The last three days, the stock market has started bouncing back since Monday's massive cut. Um, so. Uh, some of the hard money loans that on Monday, uh, hard money lenders were getting calls on Monday are starting to say, okay, I'm not as concerned as I was three days ago. So, um, I'm just interested to know some of the things that maybe some advice that you can give for some people or some of the things that you guys might be thinking about or doing inside of your businesses.
1: Well, tomorrow we're going to do a podcast and we'll, we'll talk about some, some of these things because we have all of these sides of the business interrelated. So, we have We have people that own properties where we've lent on, uh, let's say, a rental program we have. If they're not getting paid, are we going to get paid? Then I have another room of people that have trustees Mm -hmm. that rely on that income. So we have to have a discussion about having that same attitude. I don't think we have a borrower that's going to go, oh, I can get away with not making a payment. I don't really think we do because we go through a pretty good screening process before we say yes. As a hard money lender, um, I can tell you we say no a lot, and I don't know if that's very usual, but we but we do. So I think if somebody comes up and says, "I've got a problem. I I really don't have the cash flow to make a payment," it's going to be an honorable statement. I want to be able to tell that lender, "This is there's a situation, and I want to have a team." mentality. And by the way, this is how you survive a 50% price decline in 2008. So I am I write a report in 2006 about this is coming. So you can imagine as a lender, we pull back from what we do. But we had loans that were extended that, that let's say somebody had been borrowing from us for 10 years, never late on a payment, it's now 30 days late. I didn't wait for that to get 31 days. I called. I said, okay, let's talk. I said, do you still have a profit motive on the house? No, man. He said, I'm just trying to get out of Dodge. I said, okay, let, let me buy it. Let's hold an auction. Let's take a 10 grand hit instead of a 50 grand hit. So we solve stuff instantly by having that attitude. Well, this is going to be, this is going to be really tough for a short period of time. And how we deal with it will, will either exacerbate or make it feel like, okay, wow, that was that was not a big deal because we actually cooperated and got to the other side. That's, that's what we've got. We've got a nine 11 that's going to last three or four months. That attitude is going to be that kind of pervasive. The news is going to be that kind of heavy. And then all of a sudden that chart of uh, infections and deaths will go down and down and down and we'll have, you know, we'll have another place to go. Those decisions in between the next three or four months and, In all the study that I did, Bill, trying to figure out what causes price damage in a marketplace, it's when it's when the foreclosure inventory dominates the comps. That's that's my opinion. You're not going to have enough motivated sellers in a marketplace in the next three or four months that are private parties. They're going to people. They're going to be people that are nervous that put up their home for sale. You're going to have a lot of inventory. Uh, a lot more inventory for sale maybe than you normally do. Are you going to have a lot of sales? Probably not. There might be our industry that buys some houses, but you know what? We're there for liquidity. That's exactly what we provide the marketplace. Um, And I feel great about that. I'm glad that we exist. You know, those big companies that are, they exited the door as buyers. You and I did not. That's, that's what we do. And so we're still there. So somebody this world, let's say you got 20 houses, and it gets a lot more comfortable if you have 19 and you have the other in cash. That's what we do. And so I'm excited that we're going to be out there participating in that. Um, but I think the, the emotion is going to be really high. But I don't know that you're going to be able to have quantity enough to have damage. Give you an example. In California market, I'll give you, there's, here's some charts that are pretty nasty. In 1980-81, we had interest rates at 17%. We had 10% unemployment. And if I gave you those statistics and you say, okay, wow. Uh, how, uh, the next question is, how did real estate prices do? And the answer is they didn't change at all. And you kind of go, okay, well, wha- how could that possibly be? Well, in looking at all the charts, only 25% of what was sold during that market was a, was a uh, trustee sale to sale ratio. That was the, that was the trustee sale to sale ratio. 25%. If you're an appraiser and you look at that one sale, let's say that sale's an REO, you can blow that off. That's not the market. It's one out of four. In the 90s, we had interest rates that weren't 17, they were eight. We didn't have 10% unemployment. We had seven and a half. Um, But we had foreclosures that climbed up to four out of 10 comps. And that became a factor because they were almost half of the market. In 2009, they were eight out of ten comps. They were the market. So when we were flipping in 2009, we would buy a house that was had gone for 365. We bought it for 64 grand, put in 20 grand to fix it, put it up for sale for 100 and a quarter. Get 25 offers in two days, have the appraisal come in at 95. And why was that? Because 80 percent of the comps were 65 grand because they were lender owned. And the appraiser, there was no way he could come in even, even looking at how many offers came in at full price because the, the foreclosure dominated the evidence of what something was worth. How could you possibly have that in the next 120 days? You won't. You're going to have very little volume of sales, but you're also going to have very little of it be desperate sales. You're going to have a moratorium on foreclosure. You're going to have a moratorium on payments. So this is like hitting a a pause button for four months. The only way that we have devastation uh, in the real estate market is if we overreact in mass. If we don't, then guess what? Three or four months from now, people that want to sell a house can probably find a buyer. And it gets back to normal. That would be my opinion.
0: So I re- I really like that concept, and I never necessarily looked at it comparing the foreclosure driving the the demand type signal for um, the the changing in the marketplace. I, I always kind of looked at uh, just a basic supply and demand. The fact that we don't have enough houses on the market right now, enough uh, like low low priced inventory for the amount of buyer demand right now. So as I was coming into this, my mindset went to well, we still have all this pent up buyer demand. Like right now, there's not enough homes to satisfy the buyers on the market that I see. And that's how I always looked at it. And to see this, probably in addition to that, I don't necessarily know, and maybe I'd be interested in hearing your take on the the amount of demand from the buyers still three or four months from now that it's like you said, just on a pause button as well.
1: Yeah, that's an emotional decision. Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, you might have buyers, but you may have incapable buyers. So- Mm. Maybe they can't match the inventory or maybe they can't get a yes answer from a lender. Maybe they're missing the down payment. Um, any of those scenarios are possible. But I can tell you, California's sales volume right now is about 400000 a year with an inventory of three, three and a half months. And the statement in California is, yeah, that's why it's only 400000 because we don't have enough inventory. Well, that's why I like charts because since I really understand the history of charts, how did we have 550,000 sales when we had two months of inventory in 2004, five, and six? So that's not the amount of inventory. If you had the capable buyer, you would have velocity. As a matter of fact, if you have capable buyers and no inventory, where's our 20% price increase? That's, that should happen. It's not. So, you know, what's really interesting, I don't know if, uh, you know, where you, where you live, affordability is a big, not affordability, affordable housing. Mm-hmm. California, that's a big deal. Um, so just for fun, let's discuss a new loan program that they should implement, in my opinion. Right now, um, one of the things that's politically problematic is there is a divide between people that have and don't have. And part of that is we've lost a lot of people to homeownership you know, probably six, seven percent of our country went from owners to not owners. Now, maybe they shouldn't have ever got a yes answer from a lender, but they, they didn't benefit from the last eight years of progression of prices. They, they got hurt by the progression of rents. So we're after affordable housing. So here's a good idea. Let's have a nothing down loan program. You have this bonus ridiculous interest rate. And By the way, the spread right now between a 10-year and a 30-year is ridiculous. It shouldn't be this high. It should be, you should be at a two and three quarter mortgage rate to have a normal spread of two points. So let's say you had a two and three quarter percent mortgage. Normally in affordable housing, you're doing some subsidy of the cost of the housing. Well, you don't have to do that. You don't even have to build it. Just give them a fixed rate loan. Give them a nothing down loan. Okay, well, here's the next question. The next statement would be, okay, well, they don't have a down payment. Lots of foreclosures. Good. Not good. But let's say, let's, have, let's deal with that. So let's say just with this loan program, a national foreclosure law is in place and the opening bid is not the principal balance plus all the other stuff, it's the late payments. So you go to a trustee sale and the opening bid for a 250 grand loan is six back payments. The opening bid is eight grand. You want to buy that if it has a two and three quarter percent mortgage rate or is that going to go back to the lender ever?
0: Yeah, I'll take that any day of the week.
1: Any day of the week, you and another owner occupant. You will have the. You will be able to get all these people back into home ownership where they feel like they're a participant. And what would the payment be in relationship to rent where you live? Yeah, Florida, it, it. would be a third. Uh, it would be a third reduction of what they could. Their housing costs would be. It would be a big deal. So I'm not. This is not a selfish thing. Obviously, I have rentals, but I think America needs to have you know maybe a chance to get into a home. And it, like VA, VA, VA nothing down loans, by the way, are the safest loan over the course of, if you pull a hundred year uh, delinquency rate, it's that loan that's successful. So mimic a program like that, or even a VA or an FHA loan program, but nothing down with that caveat of, this is how you get rid of the property is you hold the opening bid with the late payments. You won't have a foreclosure. You'll buy it, I'll buy it, or another owner occupant will buy it. Well. By the way, when interest rates do get into the twos, the lending industry will do 80% of America's loans in a refi and then be out of business for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. And people that refi at two and a half or two and three quarters are going to be in place, period. That's going to have a really bad effect. So how do you counter that? Okay, let's have a new toy. Let's have builders be able to build affordable houses in your area and the area that I'm in, Florida. 230 grand house at two and three quarter percent interest, nothing down. Um, They're going to be busy. Realtors will be busy. Lenders will be busy. You don't do that, you're going to have a big hole. You're going to have this gigantic year and then close down lenders for a decade.
0: It's good stuff. So, uh, (laughs) who's going to listen to you?
1: We said that in front of Fannie Mae in Washington, D.C. Good. Uh, and uh, we'll do it again when we have uh, Doug Duncan out in uh, in our at our event in September because he's he'll be on the panel. I you know. I mean, your your real estate will that cause will, will that cause price damage because of foreclosures? No, there's no way. There's no, no. way.
0: No, I think I think it's a great idea. I mean, especially so. I I, I actually live in Nashville. I'm just south of Nashville, Tennessee, where I live. Uh, we do business in the southeast: Florida, um, Alabama, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky, and we. In Nashville, we have a huge problem with this. the The prices have just skyrocketed recently. The uh, affordability of houses—they're knocking down the the older houses downtown Nashville, putting up tall skinnies. Um, you know, building two, three houses on a—it's it, a lot. I grew up in Thousand Oaks, California, for about half my life, uh, and so it's a lot of what I saw in Southern California, just really getting expensive pricing, pushing the people out of the area that can't afford it and affordability has become a really difficult time here. So a lot of the uh, institutional um, investors are coming in here, buying up houses, the, the big, um, um, Hedge funds buying up houses to rent out, um, and the REITs are coming and, and doing those kind of things so i 'm watching this happen, and even rent is becoming just like you said extremely um, ex- expensive for people and not being able to kind of keep up so the the houses don 't sit on the market very long, new construction has just gone crazy. every piece of land is being developed here now um, even uh, I live in an area that 's basically was farmland twenty years ago, and they 've just been developing like crazy with no civil engineering road infrastructure in the area the traffic's getting miserable for one lane roads and it's it's a it's a big problem it's a problem for the for, it's just like we talked about about halfway through it's the people right we, if we think about the people and we start there like what do, what do the people what do the american people need and a program like that i think would be fantastic i think th- this whole idea of foreclosure and what everybody is going to do at this time can d- will dictate where we go right we so we're trying to predict where with the direction that this goes with unpredictable variables about human nature, so are they going to buy into all the the media sells media, and so what are people going to decide and I feel like and if if we can do anything on this podcast i I love the idea of what you said like what do we tell other investors that don't overreact in mass comment that you made for me is my big takeaway here if we can share that message to obviously the entire world that would be ideal but at least to our our world of real estate investors saying if this the pause button for 2 months 3 months 4 months and get back like just go and it's going to be that pause will come off pause and um th- will be the reason why we see a drop in in prices and getting out there it sounds like or or do we even have any control do you think it's yeah. just 4 months mm-hmm. from now that um that we just go back to normal and it's not really going to matter what we do.
1: No, it matters a lot. What percentage of California is rental versus owner occupied over half. Mm. So yeah, we touch 50% of other people's lives as landlords. That's a pretty amazing statement. So yeah, if, if we react appropriately, there's a lot of people that don't have to think about it. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm 30 days from being almost like a lot of people on TV. I don't need to do that to somebody. Um, I think it's an opportunity. I really do. I think we're going to remember who we are mm-hmm. uh, and I, I we'll end up better for this. We really will. But again, I'd like to see it. I, I don't know. I, I got married at 17. So a very unusual, you know, for especially nowadays, that's kind of completely ridiculous. I was a grandfather at 35. So, put that in perspective.
0: <laughs> wow. I have, a, uh, I have a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old at home and I turned 40 this year. So, I can't even imagine that. I'll tell you that.
1: But what real estate did for me and I, and I, I mean, it, it was hard to own a house. I, I didn't start well as far as working. I was, I got quite irritated at bosses You know, I've heard that term unemployable, but I was, I was pretty aggressively negative as far as being told stuff. And I got fired five times in a row during my, my youth and, uh, finally got my act together. Finally had a guy that kind of was a mentor that got on my case and really ticked me off actually. And I found out about myself, it really helps for me to get ticked off to do my best. And so he did that one day and it really, it really changed who I ended up, uh, end up becoming. But I worked at this hardware store and I could work at a little extra hours. And we started having this little can of uh, money that I added 20 bucks or 50 bucks to when we finally got it up to two grand. And I was able to buy a home in Riverside County, cash to loan, but it was, uh, it was called a simple assumption. I didn't have to qualify. Back, in, you know, back then, you could literally fill out one sheet of paper and say, John Smith is on the loan, but now Bruce Norris has bought it take his name off, put my ni- name on. Here's 45 bucks for the transfer game done. Well, that's how I bought that, bought that property. It was, it, was an, it was an odd feeling because I mowed my yard on Saturday and I literally realized I felt like a man for the first time. That's how important getting my name on a deed was. It changed, it changed everything. I was now part of the society I wanted to be a part of. I didn't have a dime worth of equity, nothing, but I owned something. And that progression took me to a free and clear house in five years. That was in another area and much better because I was able to buy two or three other homes and make a progression. And that changed my whole life. Cause you know, I have a free and clear house. I start flipping homes. I have a credit line. It was just a big deal. Now, 2006, we write a California crash report saying prices are going to go down by half. I live in about a million dollar home, maybe a million two in Riverside at the time. So it would be very reasonable to sell that home, math-wise. Save 600 grand. I tried to be a renter. I called up a guy that had a really cool house. And I said, I'm really not your typical renter. I'll pay you a year in advance. He says, oh, that sounds great. He says, you mind if I ask you a question? Do you have any pets? And there was a pause. And I said, I'm so glad you asked me that because I remember now why I want to own a home because I want no one to ever get to ask me that question again. And I intentionally kept that home. I eventually sold it. We built it for, you know, 200 grand, but we sold it for 750 instead of 1.2 million. and. Uh, I never regretted it one day of my life because I got to make the decisions in my own little box of the world that I wanted to. That's how important homeownership is. We need to give that a chance to a lot of other people so they feel like they're part of the deal, that they can make progression.
0: You know what? I'm hoping that uh, some people that are listening to this share this, not only with other real estate investors, but also with uh, their tenants. uh People that are out there that they know that are either renting or own homes because I think there's a message here for everybody because if if it's if over the next three months or four months it's so important for us not to overreact and uh, and you know have problems in mass and kick people out or you know part of the tenants have a big role to play here too. Uh, I mean, I've seen some signs that say, hey, uh, they say we don't have to pay our rent on the 1st of April. So just don't pay your rent around different apartment buildings and things like that. And it's really sad to see that that people could lean to that area. I think we need to remember back to who we are, like you said, where we come from, what it, what it felt like that day in 2001. Like what, what is this, what is this country about? I mean, I, I love the fact we have a, I, I run a I'm in my office, this new office that we just started renting about a month ago, uh, right right by my house. And there's a a donut shop in this shopping center. It's it's not great for my waistline, but every Wednesday morning, um, I take my my son, and typically it's my oldest and my youngest, my five year old, my two year old, and we go to donuts with dad on Wednesday morning. And it's a it's a small local donut shop. And there's a Dunkin' Donuts right down the street that my five year old likes to go to. And the donuts are about twice as expensive at this donut shop, but it's a local person who her and her husband are immigrants. They, they work there. They work really hard and they love what they do. They're so nice to my kids. They're always bringing out extra donuts and dropping them in and just anything that they want, it's there. And my son looked, at, looked and said, like, one day we were in there. He's like, Daddy, I really want to go to Dunkin' Donuts. I said, Son, we come here so we can support the, 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 the local, they, like, they're struggling there's not a lot of people that come in here, we're supporting the local shop, not the big mainstream shop. And in that message was was basically like, we need to figure out how to support the other people that are in our community. And I realized that there's probably a franchise owner of Dunkin' Donuts, um, but they have so much traffic that they're putting the other people out of business. And and what I see here is the same thing. Like the tenants need to jump in with us and see that the landlords aren't the bad people. And the landlords also need to understand that it's not you versus the tenant. You're a team. You're a you're a. you guys work together to, for that, that ecosystem to exist and really take care of, take care of each other in this time. Like we really need to support everyone. We're we're getting some takeout food. I'm making sure my, my tips have been extra large this, this past week. You know, I'm, I really want to make sure that the places that we frequent, like right now, every Friday we go to the local Mexican restaurant. I play soccer with the owner of the Mexican restaurant and I'm going to make sure that we go there. And if we don't go there, Last time I was there, I said, I said, Hey, can I buy some gift certificates for when you guys, if you guys do close, can I buy gift certificates now? Would that help you before you guys open up again? What is it? How are you doing? Do you need anything? How can we help? How can I be of service to you? And I think that's, that's really what I hope comes across in this too, is I think that's how three months from now we it's just not even just the real estate world. It's just the economy. It's, it's the brothers and sisters that we have in the community that we're taking care of each other. And I've seen that in this. And I think if anything that's happening right now, I see a lot of that come to light. And I also see the other side of it. You can really, we're holding up to mirror to to the people and see who they are. So hopefully people are waking up and seeing that we need to be a little bit stronger together and everything's been really good for so long. And you don't think that you need each other. I'm a, I'm a Christian and a believer. And I think when we look a kind of away from God, it, he, he does certain things to make us realize that we actually need him. And I think we need each other in a time like this too. And those of us that are rising up, I think we're gonna come out on top.
1: Absolutely. I forgot to mention, you know, when I was young, I was renting a place in Orange County. I lived in for two years. And the reason I was able to set aside 20 bucks here and there was a the guy never raised rent on me. And when I own rentals, I never raised rents. So when we had uh when we had a chance to buy those houses for very little in uh in Riverside during two thousand eight and nine, I, I started the rent at twelve fifty. Five years later it was twelve fifty. The the market rent was eighteen hundred bucks and uh I could care less, you know, because so I sort of I was paying it back. Somebody mm-hmm. did that for me and it changed it changed my life. That's pretty cool. So I'm not saying you'd have to not not raise rents, so but I'm just saying you're right. It's a, this is a good time to reach across the table and make sure everybody that you can assist. And uh, renters are in there, you know, and, and they need to be honorable, too. That, that would really irritate me. And I, we, I just got a, a phone call right again before you and I talked. Somebody had a 30-unit apartment building and all the apartment owners got together and decided they weren't going to pay rent. I'd follow them all to church on Sunday. <laughs> That's right. Wait a minute, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, but you know what? By and large, I think we're going to show a lot more character than we are disappointment. I really, really do.
0: Well, I'll be interested to hear what you guys talk about on Friday. I think we can uh, link that show also to uh, to our show notes. That way, they can hear some of the things and takeaways that you guys are doing, some of what you're sharing. Also, on top of this, um, you know, it's interesting because I came into this call like thinking uh, we're gonna talk, we're gonna go one way, and we kind of go another. I love the fact that that your your confidence kind of shines in the data, the the background, the history, the foreclosure driving this stuff. The fact that. As long as we do our part, and we're all kind of, um, you know, not kicking people out of our houses, we're making our mortgage payments. But even the what the government's doing right now is it's basically like that. That can't even happen up until a certain point. So we're we're in a position where our our future is basically in our hands as real estate investors and the renting community and everybody out there. So uh, it gives me a lot of confidence to because. But I have cash reserves in my business. I built a solid foundation. I, I have I have 15 people on staff in one company. I have 15 people on staff in another. Um, I I can't. I mean, I have to pay. I'm paying for my staff, my people. Like these are people that that I'm responsible for them, their families, all of these things. And we've done well for quite a few years. And uh, I'm you know there's a lot of concern for other people that are just like me to say what do I do for the next three months if we're not, you know, wholesaling houses or flipping houses or, you know, bringing in that that money, that income's not coming, you know, I want to make sure that I take care of my people. So, really, I think you got to take a hard look at who you are. And I think this podcast really, this interview really helped me. Um, I know where I stand, but hopefully, you guys that are listening, you know where you stand. If you have people... Treat, you're treating your people with respect. And I've even heard of some of the owners that I know that are they're talking to their staff and saying, hey, what do you guys need? And they're, they're saying, you know what? I can actually take a little cut if, if things become tough right now. It's, it's a mutual uh, discussion that's happening where they're saying, you know what? Um, I'm doing okay right now. Yeah, I, I realize that things are gonna be tough for the next couple months potentially. So let's talk about what that looks like, you know? and And you're in it together. And I think if you treat your team... I treat my team like a high-performing team. I treat them like a family for a long time, and that was a mistake. But I treat them like a high-performing team, like a Super Bowl-winning team. And there's been plenty of times where I've lost staff. I've lost three people in one quarter, and everybody just jumped in and did their part and did t- like time and a half they put in for the same amount of pay. I mean, it's it's my, my responsibility now to take care of my people and my team when they need me. I needed them then, and they jumped in without question. So why would I change things now just because um, – of of going through potential a couple of tough months. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I think this is going to really like uh, bring that leadership aspect out of a lot of us. And I think there is going to be some opportunity on the back end of this for those people that did happen to fall into some distress that did fall into some hard times that we can help them out of those hard times and uh, be there for them. Like you said, you're not sorry that you're a real estate investor. You're not sorry that, um, that you do this. We're, we're out there helping people. And I think the real good Good companies, the strong foundations, the uh, integrity-driven businesses are going to shine in a time like this.
1: There was, um, got done giving a talk in about 2008 or 9, and one of the people in the audience came up to me and he says, um, and he worked for a large hedge fund company, and he said, I've heard your reputation. I really have a lot of respect for you. I really feel sorry for you. And I said, why is that? He said, well, just there's no way that your company will be able to stay in business with competitors the size of us. And wow, inside, I got quite ticked. But I calmly said, I said, do you have a pen? And he, he said, yeah. And I, I wrote down a phone number. Uh, it was my office phone number. I said, you call this in five years. I guarantee you I will pick it up. That was 12 years ago. And we're still picking it up.
2: Uh, I, have lot,
1: I have a lot of faith in the, uh, the small business owner and their resilience and how they treat, yeah, we have everybody that started 25 years ago, 97, 23 years ago, oops, is still here.
0: That's so, incredible. Did, hey, did he ever call? Pardon me? Did the guy well, ever call? Well, uh. well,
1: well, he was out of a job inside of a year. <laughs> Good. He, he did me a great favor because, you know, every once in a while you find out what what motivates you. Um I broke an Achilles tendon one time playing racquetball and I went back to the racquetball place, a, I don't know, a couple of days later on, on crutches and the best player in the club was really a good player, semi-pro player. He came up to me and said, what, what happened to you? And I said, I, I broke an Achilles. He, you know what he said? He said, oh good, that's the end of you. And I just thought, wow. And I wrote it down. I used to have three by five cards and write down stuff that, motivated me. And I just, his name was Daggert. Now that's, that's how often I read it. Daggert, Daggert's challenge. So six months later, I'm warming up in the, in the uh, racquetball challenge court, the clear glass. And just not, not coincidentally about the time he showed up every day. And he opens up the side door and he puts his head in. He said, are you here for real? I said, I'm here for you. (laughs) <laughs> well,
0: it sounded like he awoke a sleeping giant, just like, uh, what might happen here coming up in the right. next couple months. I hope so. Um, you know, it's, I've, I've really enjoyed this. I think that, um, I think it's, it's desperately needed out there in, in the world right now uh, is, um, you know, uh, some sound reasoning, some, some advice from somebody who's been around the block and back and, and realizing that it's, it's about character and integrity more than it is about, um, uncertainty fear and um, and chaos absolutely um, but before we before we check off here i want to I want to talk a little bit about uh, as I was doing some research, I was on your website and I clicked to this uh, this event that you guys do in september, and there's a lot of things about this that I absolutely love, so it, would you mind taking some time and just talking about it i I, I dug into it a little bit, but i didn't have uh, hours to to read about it it looks It, it looks incredible so
1: well, you know, it was Aaron, my son's brainchild. Um, he's the one that thought about maybe we should have a radio show. And that's sort of, you know, when you have a radio show, your, your guest list kind of progresses as you interview the next, maybe, how the, maybe the next level person, if you will. So if you're interviewing the chief economist of Fannie Mae, it's real easy to get the chief economist from Freddie Mac. It's just that's easier because that's the same guy in a way. So what happened gradually, we got this reputation where we have this event and what happened after the crash. So we called it, I survived real estate. Well, at the time, that was the appropriate sentence because we were all trying to to do that and land on the safe square and the name stuck. And so, uh, you know, the audience has always been sold out and on the panel are the decision makers for a lot of the industries so you'll have the chief economist of Fannie Mae, or you'll have the president of Mortgage Bankers Association, um, John Burns, who's a consultant for hedge funds and uh, the builders, National Builders. These are the people that f- go in front of Congress and help make policy decisions and are very influential. Well, we we earned the right to have them on the panel, and so that's been exciting. Well, we also made it a charity event, to where when we have 450 people come, uh, and they they pay directly to make a wish or St. Jude and, uh, the Norse group, it's a, it's a formal event. So what's pretty cool is, um, seeing 450 investors in tuxes and formals. That's a pretty cool night. And, um, when we did it the very first time, you know, the, the investors were taking a hit because we were the bad guys. We caused all this. And uh, so I get invited to back to, uh, Washington, D.C., trying to change what people saw. I brought my hard money lender loan portfolio payment history. So these are interest rates at the time were 10 and 12 percent, 99 point something percent current. And if Annie Mae was going, I, we don't even get that. How is that possible? I said, because you, you're confusing a speculator with an investor. Investor is a very safe person to... To lend to, so anyway, these people got on the panel, and they love being there. So it's kind of cool because when they retire and are not present in the mortgage Bankers association, the word is out. They they tell the next person of all the events you have to go to, you got to go to this. So Doug Duncan, chief economist Fannie Mae, literally I think the last time we had one, he had to leave like at three or four in the morning to catch a plane to go back, and he wouldn't miss it. So that's how that's important that the stud is to him. So. Anyway, that's been the progression this year. We'll have, I don't know which one is it, the 12th? or Aaron's going to come on here a second.
2: Um, this is uh, number 13. 13. And we should be crossing the million dollar for charity mark. It's it's that's incredible, I saw on
0: on your site and it may, maybe it's a little bit dated, but saying over eight hundred and seventy thousand dollars raised for charity and I told you guys pre show really stood out to me on the make a wish we uh, I have a son who's had open heart surgeries, our community knows a lot about him we his birthday's usually around our event in October, so um he, we do something for him, and uh he was just awarded a wish for make a wish, so we're going through this process and seeing how incredible it was. I always thought I said you know. I, I can, t- I can take our, our myself to Disney world. Like we can, we can do that. We should, we should let the other kids who can't afford to, to get a wish. And they said, no, it's, it's not, it has nothing to do with income and has nothing to do with any of that stuff. It's about the kids. And so we're going through this process. He got awarded a wish and we're going down to Disney world. Uh, it was, we were supposed to leave, um, next week and disney world's closed right now obviously um, so they postponed his wish but seeing what's what they do for all of this is just it, it's an incredible community and i think i know why i think they're a very very smart organization because i am probably going to donate 10 times <laughs> what it would cost for, for my son to go after we see this. And, and I already can tell this is a, a organization that I want to be involved in. They're, they're absolutely amazing. And so, um, it, it's incredible that you guys are doing that. It's, uh, it looks like the, people can see previous events on your website. Is that true?
2: Yeah, if you go to iSurviveRealEstate.com, you can see the last event. Um, Amazon Prime, I think it's still up. So if you're at home and you're a, subs- uh, a Prime subscriber, we're on there for free. Um, so yeah, we 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 do it to to give back to the community and to be a you know a good advocate for the real estate investor community. And then yeah, uh, come September, I will probably officially release. We'll of course wait for updates of what happens. If we have to get creative, we will. But we're sort of dead set on crossing that million dollar mark. And I, I want to point out too, on the website, Estate.com, we have the Roni Award um, where we celebrate um, some of the forefathers of real estate investing. So every year we honor somebody. We try to do as much a surprise as possible, but some of the the great uh, investor mentors that are not the gurus, they're out there slugging it out with the Main Street investors, helping us grow and, and, and get better at what we do. So you might want to check that out.
1: It, it's, on, it's in honor of Jim Rohn, too. That was, that was the best, biggest mentor of my life. Um, I had just started buying, the, buying houses in 1980 and was forced to go to his three-hour seminar. And it was the first seminar I'd ever been to. And I, my attitude was pretty crummy for 15 minutes. And then I took my first note. It was on top of the page I still have. And I said to the who was with me, I said, this guy doesn't need our money. And I got my attention because I'm really keen on a, like, agendas and BS. And I realized this is not why this guy is here. And he changed my whole life in three hours, man. I went home instead of a set of goals that uh, that would change my entire direction of my life.
0: It's, it's amazing. I wish, uh, I wish I had lived through that time of Jim Rohn in my investing career, my entrepreneurship journey, things like that. Like, but the, the new mentors that I have right now are just amazing. And I think that uh, I'm, if, I'm looking on here like Dykes Bodiford's on here, Pete Fortunato, some names that I absolutely recognize. They're still doing things in, uh, in real estate right now with some of their seminars and, and things like that. So it's, it's amazing to see that.
1: What's important is the character has to go with the activity. Everyone that's gotten that award, there's no one says anything bad about any of them. Um, so that's, that's a really big key to me is how honorable they've treated other people
0: well i think that came across here on this podcast for sure and uh, it's it's very clear um I, I hopefully in 25 years from now uh, uh, there's some 40 year old uh, kid that's interviewing me about my experience like i really this is uh, i can tell that um you have the same integrity the same kind of drive and and values that that definitely attract me to somebody. And I'm really glad that we got linked up and we're able to have this conversation because, um, you know, I have very specific core values in my life. It's a ownership, stewardship, hardworking, integrity, and personal and professional development. And, uh, those five things are just, I've really drilled down into it and my staff, my team, uh, all exemplify those things. And it's really, really important to me with obviously, I think integrity being the highest one and you guys have it in spades. It's obvious from this conversation and your years of investing, not raising rents. I'm sitting here going, how could you do that? (laughs) But it's, it's just amazing to hear that stuff. And I'm, I, I think that this is something that our community needs to hear. And I think this is something that they need to share with, with anybody who, um, who could help in the next 3 months the next few months of what's happening to really kind of just share something good that we could all do to to avoid something that could really hurt us all absolutely
1: and, we we can make a mountain into a molehill with the right actions
0: yeah the uh so uh, I survived real estate.com we'll put that in the show notes too that's um, really cool uh, amazon prime I'm gonna check it out i uh, I'll say you know one of the big things that I've been pushing right now is you guys have all this time on your hands you're home you're sitting around and uh, what are you doing are you watching Netflix are you watching movies are you watching the news or are you educating yourself are you taking the time to do a course to to watch one of these events to to like listen to the listen to our podcast listen to to your podcast uh, you know what do you, put the good stuff in. And that's the, that's the kind of thing that's going to propel you when, you know, a few months from now you're coming out of the gate swinging and ready to go and you're building something bigger and, and better than it was when you came into all this. So that's my hope for my company. Um, I know it, we're going to have a a little bit of time where there's going to be some decisions to be made. It's taking the data from the day, every day is changing a little bit. Um, this Congress bill is, I think, is really going to help us out, uh, and it's it's given me some some confidence uh, going in and um, and making sure that my team and my staff they have a place to go, they have something to do, and we're we're pushing towards uh, being ready for when uh, when we come out uh, swinging, dumping money back into the economy, and doing all the things we need to do. Anything else that you guys want to share um, with the audience before we go?
1: No, Bill. Thanks for having us on. We really appreciate it. And God bless your son.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. And and Aaron, uh, we didn't introduce you, but that was Bruce's son, Aaron, in the, uh, in the back talking about the I Survived uh, Real Estate event. And um, I think uh, you guys have an incredible family. And Aaron, uh, uh, you you're truly blessed to be be mentored by your dad through all this. I wish, uh, uh, you know. When I know it, <laughs> yeah, it's really incredible. I look forward to getting to know you a little bit better too, Aaron. So thanks so much, guys, for.
1: What's funny, the transformation has occurred though. Like when whenever Aaron's someplace that I've not been, if I show up, they go, "Oh, you're Aaron's dad. Oh, we love him." <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, that that was the conversation that that I had with uh, with the investor that linked us up. He's like, "Look, this is a phenomenal family." He's like, "You would be just thankful to have either one of them on your show." So um, maybe we'll uh, we'll have Aaron. We'll have to get together and ha- bring you bring you on for sure, and um, and we'll share your story and everything like that if you guys would be open to it. So thank you so much for having uh, for coming on the show. It's been it's been an honor to just sit down and talk with you. I feel like I've learned a ton. Um, It's given me a lot of uh, confidence and faith in the direction that we're going as a company and hopefully as our whole community. And I know that everybody that's listening has uh, got a ton of value from it. So thanks, Bruce and Aaron.
1: Thank you. You have a great day.
0: Talk to you guys soon. All right. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for listening to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast with
0: Bill Allen. If you want to grow and scale your house flipping or wholesaling business, check out more insider tips and strategies from the nation's most successful real estate investors at 7Figureflipping.com.